Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. This is Season 11, Episode 15. I'm your host, Dean Jones. I'm sure you're all wondering why I've called you here today. Someone in this room is a murderer. Okay, well, that's not true, but it's fun to think about. Today, I'm talking with someone who has thoroughly immersed herself in the mystery novels of Agatha Christie and has written a wonderful companion in the form of a cookbook that is inspired by the works of this very author. Karen Pierce is a self-confessed foodie, amateur cook, and avid reader of Agatha Christie's work. At the age of 12, she picked up a Christie pocketbook from her grandmother's bedside table. It was The Third Girl, a book that is a glorious romp with London in the 60s. She was hooked. I'm going to now take you to my conversation with author Karen Pierce to talk about her new cookbook, Recipes for Murder, out this week. There'll be links available in the bio where you can purchase it. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm speaking with author Karen Pierce, a detective fiction devotee, food lover, and Agatha Christie superfan. Karen has attended and volunteered at several Anthony Boucher Memorial Word Mystery Conventions and has taken pilgrimages to Torquay and Greenway House, Christie's hometown and home. Pierce lives in Toronto, Canada. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. For our audience members who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us where you grew up and where you live now? I grew up in Toronto and I live in Toronto. So I, I actually grew up on the west side of the city and now I live on the east side of the city. But yeah, I've been here for many years. I've had a few, you know, a couple little moves around, but for the most part, I'm a Toronto girl. Did you have anybody early on that instilled in you a love of food, like a relative, grandparent, parent? Yes, I am from a family of people who love food. My mother's a great cook. My father loved great food. My grandmother was a good cook. My other grandparents adored good food. So there was always quality food at every family dinner. So yeah, I grew up knowing about good food and mediocre food. So yeah, I've always been a bit of a foodie. What is your background in um, recipes and cooking? just that you know that I liked food and liked to cook and so I'm a home cook I certainly developed recipes I never followed a recipe twice the same in my life um but yeah no just uh cooking for family and friends for the past you know 30 or 40 years or more now we're the big question um that I've had uh that, that I think everybody wants to know is where did it Agatha Christie come into your life and, and where did you become a devotee of Agatha Christie? Well, March break as a kid sent off to the grandparents and I found a copy of Third Girl, which is uh, Agatha Christie's 1965 novel. And I read it bosphorously, consumed it. And it was so exciting because it was set in London in the swinging 60s and uh, I think that's why I, I originally consumed the book. But after that, I just started reading all of them and um, got really hooked on the puzzle mystery, really hooked on mysteries in general, and uh, have been reading ever since. Um, in my 20s, I started collecting them, and I still have a, an ample collection of them today. And I reread them. They're, they're comfort. Like most of the food in the book, the, this is uh, comfort reading for me. Did you, do you have a favorite of her works? 
<clears throat> now, I don't think I actually have a favorite. That's depends on the mood, my time of life, who, you know, whatever. But I have thought about my top five. So my top five are Death on the Nile, Sad Cypress, Peril at End House, The Man in the Brown Suit, and The Hollow. Nice. So other than Death on the Nile, most of those are probably unknown to to your listeners. But I would encourage them, you know, read read a Christie. Not don't just go for the movies. Read a Christie. Read read all sorts of there's 66 of them. There's one for everybody. You 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 bring up something interesting for me. Um I like a lot of people are familiar largely with Christie's work through the television uh, shows and movies. Do you personally yeah. have any actors that were your favorites playing some of the characters? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody beats David Suchet as yeah. as as Hugo Poirot. Yeah, just brilliant. Um, I like the original Tommy Tommy and Tuppence, Francesca Annis, and um, James Warwick. So yeah, I thought they were brilliant. And they, that's going back to the 80s. You haven't seen them in a while. Um, I liked all the different Marples. Margaret Rutherford, maybe. she She's just kind of a bit much for Miss Marple. But, you know, I, I think they've all done fine. What about, uh, I, I got to ask what you think of Kenneth Branagh's uh, work as a uh... I actually have enjoyed them all. Uh, I've seen both of them so far and I can't wait to see The Haunting and I have enjoyed them. I don't mind little differences from from the um, the books and the, and the movie. You know, it's a different interpretation. And um, I think he made Poirot more of the center of the story than, than he probably is in the novels, but I think you have to do that for movies. My only quibble was in the very first one. A fist fight. It's just not. It's not Poirot. I um, want to ask you if you can give us maybe five fun facts about uh, Agatha Christie. Well, I have lots of fun facts. Did you all know that her father was American? No way. Yes way. So she had the whole connection to... Uh, to uh, the east coast of the United States. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. She did not drink alcohol. When everyone had a big celebration and stuff, she'd have a nice cup of cream. Wow. I didn't think that not drinking alcohol was allowed in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> and I just actually read in um, one of uh, a biography that apparently... I, some teetotaler society was interviewing her, talk, meeting with her at some point, and they annoyed her so much she ordered a beer. <laughs> that was enough to drive her to drink right there. <laughs> well, enough to just, you know, flick them in the face, because that's kind of who Christy always was. Um, <laughs> another interesting one I think is that I did not know. <laughs> You know, at, when she was a young woman, that was when they had debutante balls and, and mm -hmm. people came out and had a season and were introduced to to find eligible young men. And her her family at that time had very little money. So 
her coming out was in Cairo. Wow. I know. We think of that as being an exotic destination rather than doing it at home. But um, it was actually cheaper. Oh, wow. That's interesting to think of. Um, one fun little thing is uh, somebody solved a murder. Was it a murder or there was, there was a poisoning case in um, in England at one point and somebody was able to solve it by telling their doctor about the Agatha Christie novel The Pale Horse which includes a thallium poisoning so she actually helped to save to to, uh, solve a real life mystery oh wow that's a really nasty poison very nasty um she and her husband, Archie, when they did their world tour in 1924, I believe, 1922, 1922, she was one of the first Britons to stand up on a surfboard. No, that's crazy. Yep. Oh my God. Never mind a woman, one of the first Britons to actually stand up on a uh, surfboard in Hawaii. Her and her husband were in Hawaii at the time. That's so crazy to imagine Agatha Christie hanging 10. That's just, it's just... Well, everyone thinks of her as an older woman, but, you know, in truth, no, she wrote most of her books as, you know, in her 30s and 40s. And so this was her in the 20s, the roaring 20s. She was very much of her age. So I want to talk about your, your book, Recipes for Murder. Yep. Can you talk about how Agatha Christie used food in her novels and how you decided that you wanted to write a book um, featuring Agatha Christie food and drinks that you made a cookbook out of? So I always wanted to write a book and um, have tried to write a mystery many times. And I've never really finished them. I'm not really good at the puzzle part. But I really, as we've discussed here, like food, bit of a foodie and a big Christie fan. So I went looking for an Agatha Christie cookbook one day. Well, there isn't one. And I looked and looked and looked all over the place. And, you know, there's Harry Potter cookbooks. There's Disney character cookbooks. There's Star Wars. There's Game of Thrones. There's there's Fast and Furious cookbooks. Everybody's, I know, everybody's got a cookbook. But not Agatha Christie. There is a French one. I'm not going to say there's none. There is one in French. Um, And I just, I didn't really wonder why. I just thought, well what will that look like and decided just to do it it was really a labor of love just an homage to my favorite author and as I started doing it and working it I was realizing that there's a lot of food terms that we're unfamiliar with both because of time and um and uh, the cultural difference between Britain and, and North America so you kind of kept growing that way, like, you know, and and how the world changed. I mean, she wrote from, you know, the late teens until the mid 70s. So the world changed a lot. And food was prepared in the in the early days, strictly by servants. And then, you know, by the end, it, it quite a bit different. So. I think that's what I started to convey in this in this uh, cookbook, and I really enjoyed it, putting it really into 
a, a time and a space and a setting so everyone could really understand how all this uh, came to be, understand the culture of uh, Christie and the, so they're the overall settings of the mysteries themselves. Her books span um, a large period of time. Did you get a yeah. sense of, um, through the food, did you get a sense of the, the change of things food-wise in Britain over a period of time? Oh, completely, completely. Like, and, and, then, and then don't forget there was war as well. And yeah, yeah. And depression. depression. Yeah. So food changed, you know, really substantially all the way through. I mean, there's... Um, the black market time during World War II and after that, when ingredients were all being traded around. Um, lobster used to be something the peasants basically ate because it was so yep. plentiful on the on the the Cornwall coast. Nobody ever ate out at a restaurant. What was that? You know, like that didn't have so that was a huge change in society. Um all sorts of big changes. One one uh, recipe I highlight is uh, beetroot and watercress salad, and that's sort of a mid-war thing because you everybody grew. People were trading beetroots. They always grew. It's like potatoes, right? And watercress you can get out of the ditch. So you know what you could get in your local neighborhood really influenced how Brits ate for years. And then it got really bland for a while, uh, really, you know, sort of post-war when there was no spices and yeah, yeah. And then the, and then new immigrants into the culture and how that changed again. And so, yeah, no, food changed a lot. And whether it was being cooked by cook and maids or whether it was being made by a housewife um, or they're eating at a diner, this is, Food changed a lot. And so in my book, I've divided it into decades and I've given an introduction to each decade that tells you something about how food was prepared and what was available and in that decade. You wrote some great instructional um, directions in your um, recipes, such as how to cook an exquisite omelet, how to roast a leg of lamb properly, how to serve perfectly timed steak frites. Can you talk about how you came to decide to put these instructions in your cookbook? Well, they kind of go with, uh, you know, if my leg of lamb, which was the a clue in the big four, if that's going to be my presentation, and I get from the leg of lamb, we get to talk about Sunday roast and the whole tradition of, of, of a Sunday roast meal. Um... You know, there's really not much to it I, to cook it. It's like, okay, you do it for this long. So I really had to bump up the instructions and really make sure people got it right. And I'll tell you right now, I learned all those instructions from my mother. Oh, on wow. leg of lamb. Absolutely. An ex-boyfriend is responsible for the omelet. And uh, which was the other one you asked me about? Um, steak frites. Oh, the steak frites. Well, that's... That's uh, that's just learn it yourself. Like it kind of depends how long you want your steak, how well you want it cooked, and the frites. And uh, it can be tricky. Framing your recipes are some insightful essays and headnotes that detail the history of the recipes and their context in Christie's life and times. 
and they're also the roles they play in the source works. Can you talk about these essays and what you wanted to impart to the reader from them? Well, as we were talking a little bit before, right, I really wanted, I want the reader to understand the time in which um, Christy and, and all these suspects were living. I mean, so it's part of who understanding their characters as well and their motivations for what they do in the stories becomes much clearer when you when you understand what everybody's role is and what they're eating and drinking and how they're living. You really begin to get a whole idea, a whole picture of, you know, the closed circle, which is, you know, a key part of Christie Mysteries. Your book features some extensive research investigation. What was this research process like from you, for you? As, as a librarian, I'm always very interested in this aspect of it. Did you go to any special archives or collections to do your research? I didn't go to anything special. What I did was I looked for old menus. Oh. Yeah, hotel menus, oh. uh, cruise line menus, trail, uh, railroad menus, things like that, because that showed me what people were eating what they considered special. This is mostly my 20s and 30s research. So, in a bit of the 40s too. So that really helped because then I could like look at these dishes and then go research what that dish is. And I would find all sorts of different explanations of what they were, which was fun. And that's, you know, that's, I would try them and see which one would work best. And I, I really had a rule that the recipe I was going to put in a book had to be simple. It had to be available, accessible, and like one page. Going back so I've mostly you, stuck to that throughout it, but you, you didn't uh, have any special collections you worked with at all, or anything? Not, no, no, not really. Just my mother's cookbooks, my cookbooks, friends, um, Google, and whatever I could find at the Metro Toronto Library. So, yeah. The recipes, um, as you said, are kind of divided into categories per the era. Mm -hmm. um, now, so steak could be fried in 1923, but marinated and grilled in 1964. Did this make, make writing the recipes difficult at all? Well, no, it was really interesting. Like when I found that 1920s um, recipe for um, serving, it was, you know, for a tenderloin steak. I mean, it's literally fried in half a cup of butter. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like... I mean, imagine it was I good. mean, taste delicious, <laughs> but yeah. whoa, yeah. that like was mind boggling. But then when I started to see steak mentioned, you know, how to cook a steak in like 1940s, now we're starting to talk the fry pan or, or the grill plat, you know, the flat grill, you know, there's a bit more of that going on. And then the last mention of, of steak is in the Caribbean. And this is where I talk about it being an outdoor barbecue, you know, charcoal grill and marinating it with peppers and stuff. So how we've treated a steak dinner through through the decades did very much, uh, very much one of the markers in the book. Now, your book has a collection of thematic menus that assemble recipes for a Halloween murder mystery gathering, a Christopher yep. Christmas gathering, a book club buffet and other occasions. Can we talk about this a bit? And have you tried these out in your own home? Oh, yeah. 
For sure. And for my uh, last birthday dinner, we had the Beresford's di um, dinner that's in the book, in the menu that's in the book. We had all the, all three dishes. Oh, wow. I think so. And then there's actually a fourth dish for them. Yes, Sunday dinner with the Beresford. So we had the salmon with the salmon cream. And then we had the kitchen garden casserole and we had Pashmelba for dessert. But there's a fourth Tommy and Tuppence mystery um, where the recipe is blackberry jam preserves. And I couldn't really figure that into the menu this way. But when I served it for my friends, I did it with, um, you know, toast, toast bits with uh, goat cheese and uh the jam so i got all four of them into the dinner party so it's just kind of fun that's all i just thought here's another way you can use this book you can put together a scary meal you can put together breakfast you can put together tea or luncheon you know celebrate christy in any way you want i am a big fan of halloween can you talk about the halloween dinner what did we put into Halloween? Well, Halloween is my birthday. Oh, that's so awesome. I would love that with us, my birthday. <laughs> it's a fun day to have a birthday. So, well, we started off with the Jolly Roger cocktail because, of course, pirates. Yeah. And then um, jack-o'-lantern deviled eggs. Again, self-explanatory. Self then I went with the Sem September roast partridge because it's kind of seasonal, you know, a bit of a hunt thing. I just sort of felt it went with um, with the idea of a Halloween dinner. And then, of course, we have Devon boiled potatoes from And Then There Were None. Is there anything more Halloween-y than Everybody Dies? <laughs> And then for uh, dessert, we have another delicious death by cake. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a lovely Halloween meal. I like that. I may, I may co-op that myself. Um, I tell you, this is, you know, this is what we want people to, to just have some fun with it and look up your, your favorite book and see if you can uh, put that recipe into a meal one day. And yeah. Lots of fun. We've been having a lot. My friends have been, you know, completely immersed <laughs> being fed Christie type meals for some time now, usually just one or two items. But yeah, I celebrated my last birthday by doing a complete dinner with the Beresfords. I want to um, circle back to Agatha Christie's life a little bit. Um, what, mm -hmm. what surprised you the most about Agatha Christie when you did your research on her and you read up on her life? The thing that actually surprised me the most was like at one point she owned eight houses. This woman wow. really liked, she really liked real estate. She had great taste. She made great bargains with it. And on top of that, she loved decorating. She loved shopping for decor. She liked picking out the gas fittings. She loved every inch of it. And I've been to Greenway a couple of times now, and she had enough uh, decor to fill all eight houses, I'm quite sure. <laughs> she was quite the master of picking up knickknacks from everywhere she went. But yeah, that really surprised me. I did not see that in her personality. That, 
she loved decorating, like making a home. Like she would take six months off from doing any books at all just so she could decorate her new home. Karen, I want to ask you lastly, what's next for you? I'm not sure if it's 66 cocktails inspired by the work of Agatha Christie, or maybe it's just another 66 dishes. I'm not sure. I'm working, I'm, I'm tossing it around with my editor, which, which way to go, but I'm certainly going to write one more, I think. They both sound like It was fun. so much fun. I hope you do. Karen, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, and I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to you about Agatha Christie and your cookbook. I do want to rem remind people that we have links to purchase the book. So if you go to the links in the bio, uh, you can find our um, link for the book that you can purchase um, through there, or, and I'm sure it's going to be also at all better bookstores as well. Um, Karen, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, and uh, I want to wish you all the success with your, with your new book. All right. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. I've enjoyed myself. Good luck on the podcast. Thank you. That was my conversation with Karen Pierce. Her Agatha Christie-inspired cookbook, Recipes for Murder, is out now. You can buy it from the links provided in the bio or through all major book distributors. You can also buy it at All Better Bookstores. Next week, we'll be talking with Caldecott and Newbery Award winner, author Grace Lin, about her new children's book, Chinese Menu, the history, myths, and legends behind your favorite foods. You can listen to this conversation next week. Until then, I'll see you at the library.